throughout this whole um, church year since September, we have been discussing a contagious Christian. And every week, we, if you attend regularly, we hope uh, the Holy Spirit is giving us another ingredient toward our becoming that person that God intends us to be for all eternity. We're here to grow. We're here to become. Christianity is, is not an instant fix. It's a lifetime journey. After we receive Jesus, then we spend a lifetime becoming like him. And so last week, we gave sort of the first of a two-part sermon. Today will be the second part. We talked about words last week and the importance of what we say. And I was just delighted with the response. Uh, I heard many times throughout the community that people were really taking this to heart and trying to, uh, with God's help, be civil in our uncivil world. And I heard a great story yesterday and asked the woman to give me permission to share it. And it just shows what can be done. This lady was uh, remembering my words about the bicyclist who had given me a hard time and how I had refrained from giving her a hard time and watching our words, that kind of thing. Anyway, she was approaching a, a, a four-way boulevard stop. There was no traffic lights, but there was cars coming both ways. You make a boulevard stop and go on. And there was this very elderly lady in front of her trying to go out and make a left turn into oncoming traffic. The problem was she was hesitant to pull in front of anybody making a left, so she sort of just stayed there, and the people behind this lady started honking, and then they went around her and around this frightened woman and shouted expletives as they went by. This lady said, well, I have two choices. I can do what everybody else is doing, be uncivil, blow the horn, and uh, frighten this lady more, or maybe I can put that sermon into action. And, and this is literally what she did. She got out of her car, went and tapped on the woman's window, and she said, I want to help you. Then she went out in the middle of the intersection, stopped the cars that were coming, and let this woman go through. Now, I think that's dramatic. And I think it tells me what one church can do if everybody went out and did some random acts of, instead of being uncivil, being civil. I think that would be contagious. More contagious than the lack of civility and how that's becoming contagious. Just a thought. And I tell you that story because I hope we're going to hear many, many stories in response to this message that has to do with truth-telling. Let's bow in prayer and see what God has to say to us through his word. Lord, we're so grateful that your word is living and active, and it meets us where we live, and it challenges us and convicts us. And above all, we're grateful as we read still about another chapter that needs to be built in our lives that, in honesty, we know we can't do it, but the miracle is you do it through us and for us. And when it comes to truth-telling, God, I pray you're going to convict us and challenge us and empower us to be truth-tellers in a world that's somehow forgotten how to tell the truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In his interesting book, Why Do Smart People Do Dumb Things?, Dr. Mortimer Feinberg discusses the fall of Richard Nixon from the presidency. He believes that if the president had come clean with the American public before the election, he would never have lost his presidency. Basically, it was the cover-up, the lie, and not the break-in that broke Nixon. And the author goes on to give numerous examples of lives of very important people who were destroyed by cover-up or by lying. And this validates what Jesus says to us when he says in Scripture, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. There was a, as I was preparing this sermon, I remember this lesson my dad pounded into me from my earliest days. He said, always tell the truth, no matter what the cost, always be honest. And that's just 
part of me. It's, it's, it's implanted in my cranium. Our text claims that a classic character quality of a Christian is honesty. In our text we read, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Don't lie to each other. Truth telling. That seems to be such a clear, simple, strategically important moral value, core value for a person who takes the name Christian. I, few of us would argue today that there is a growing need for truth in our society. We know it's there. Truth seems to generally be lost. Cover-up, stonewalling, distortions in the media, misleading labeling, packaging, shady business deals, scandal, all seem to be the norm and we've almost become too accustomed to it, too accepting of it. So knowing this need for truth-telling, I, I want us as Christians to look into the Word of God today and see what it might say to us personally and give us a challenge of what we might do about the situation. So first, why the commandment? Don't lie to each other. Why would God make it one of the Ten Commandments? Why would the New Testament talk about honesty over and over again? And probably the answer is obvious. Truth-telling is a cardinal virtue because Jesus associates lying with the devil himself. It's interesting. Speaking to the Pharisees who were accusing Jesus of lying, this is what Jesus said. You belong to your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar, and he's the father of lies. Now, some would question the people, uh, the skills of Jesus at that point with the Pharisees, because then, as now, it's really not chic to talk about the devil, period. And then to associate something that's so much a part of our lives, like white lies and exaggerations and all those things we, most of us do with the devil, that's really not easy to grasp. The point is, Jesus didn't seem to have any problem associating all kinds of lying with the forces of hell itself. That's how serious it is. And again, this is sort of one of those passages we gloss over. But I think that if the Holy Spirit's going to work, we need to get convicted of the seriousness of any form of lying in our lives. What's interesting, you see, because of the culture we live in, we've slowly made lying sort of a norm. We've made peace with a certain amount of dishonesty simply because we, we live in a crooked world. And we forget again that Jesus says all lying is associated with evil, and when we do it, no matter what our excuse, it's wrong. I read a book entitled The Death of Truth. I, I recommend it. It challenges Christians to model truth as revealed by Jesus and then to seek the power of the Holy Spirit to rid, rid ourselves of all forms of lying and deceit and we need the Holy Spirit because the world is crooked and we can't stay straight without divine help. This calling to be honest, to be truth tellers is strategically important for two reasons for society, of which we're a part, and for our own personal peace and joy. In a very real way, the future of our society and our own future depends upon our coming to terms with this rampant disease of dishonesty. Here, here's the basic truth we want to underscore today. You don't have to lie to survive in our society. You don't have to lie to survive in business. You don't have to lie to keep your social relationships alive. Uh, let me see if I can um, unpack that a little bit for you. 
Uh, we saw a crazy movie recently. It was entitled Liar, Liar. It's just, I, I thought it was one of the funnier ones I've seen. The plot centers on an attorney, of all things, because they're noted for their honesty, who because, uh, all apologies, every Christian attorney in this church is honest. The plot centers on an attorney who, because of his birth, birthday wish of a son, he couldn't tell a lie for a whole day. And it was hilarious to see ourselves portrayed in terms of the many kinds of lies we all tell and they've almost become so unconscious that the movie was revealing how unconscious they've become, but they're still there. Uh, the real, and the point is, we tell these lies without any feeling of shame. Well, a core part of the dialogue in the movie happens when the leading character comes desperately in the middle of his day back to his son and he says, son, you've got to unwish your birthday wish. I can't survive in my job if I have to tell the truth. And you know, we immediately made some parallels, we who are watching the movie, to our own lives. Because far from the myth of Hollywood, in the very real world, many of us believe that lying is necessary for personal survival. Because the system is crooked, and unless we're crooked, we can't compete. Lying is an accepted norm. That's the disease we're describing. Now, if we hold up truth with a capital T, which we believe is what the Bible offers, Jesus would argue just the opposite, that honesty is necessary for survival, both for society and for our personal future. And let me just give some facts to validate that. Consider what lying is doing to us at the level of society in which we live. Our local paper last week highlighted how a form, former Menlo Park City official illegally used $200,000. That's something right here in our own community. He stole it, one way or another. I don't know all the details. Our federal government is almost paralyzed, we all know, from doing the work of governing because these days they're really doing nothing much more than handle one scandal after another. Each party trying to get the other one uh, with some scandal and some liability or whatever, and they're paralyzed from doing their job. Every week we still hear conflicting stories about the downing of TWA Flight 800, the Oklahoma and Waco disasters, the nerve gas debate in the Gulf War, stories that cast doubt on the FBI, the military, and on practically every arm of government. Trust is breaking down. We don't know who to believe. We hear things and we immediately we say, I don't know if that's true or not. If you don't know if it's true or not, you can't relate. Daniel Levine did a poll of 3,000 high school juniors and seniors who were at the top of their class, and they're upper 5%. 89% admitted cheating and said it was common in their schools. And he comments that the numbers are alarming, but their attitude was worse. Cheating was accepted as a way of life. If you want to get to the best schools, you have to cheat. I say, wow, that's next generation being well-trained in dishonesty. A second-year student in my son's dental school was expelled in the last three weeks for cheating on tests. The reason? The pressure was so great, he felt he had to cheat to survive, and he paid an awful price, lost two years of dental school. USA Today reported a study revealing 48% of workers admit to unethical or illegal acts. I quote, the study shows that violations are so rampant that if you aren't stealing company property, leaking company secrets, or lying to customers or supervisors, odds are the worker next to you is. And then we wonder why people are cynical today, why there's a lack of trust. We are cynical about the integrity of government leaders. That's become a national disease. 
It's trickled down to the point where we distrust the media, and not, certainly not only attorneys, we distrust ministers, doctors, babysitters, and almost everybody else. Now, we, if we project this disease of dishonesty into the future, we suddenly realize how relevant the teaching of Jesus is about truth-telling. The survival of society depends upon trust. And we can't survive without trust, and trust can't happen without honesty. That's why it's so important for us Christians to be sensitized to the importance of truth-telling. Now, let's turn to the importance of truth-telling on the personal level. Jesus forbids lying because it eventually wreaks havoc in the heart of one who lies. Living with a falsehood leaves a person frustrated, disconnected from sources of meaning and hope, and with fear of exposure. One writer comments on how too many in our culture have become, quote, loose individuals, persons who've broken free from traditional restraints, obsessed with self-fulfillment, and how uncertain and being uncertain of whether anything makes any difference. Those are nihilists today. People who just say there's no absolutes, there's no values, and you just sort of feel life doesn't mean anything. There's millions of them in today's America. Without tr truth-telling, you see, we can't draw the line between the sane and the insane, between the base and the beautiful. Without truth-telling, we are unable to make moral judgments. We can't set boundaries between right and wrong, good and bad. That's why I'm so concerned about the trend in our schools to teach kids their find your own value system. You define what's good. And if there are no absolutes out there, how, what's good for one may be bad for another, but there, the result is chaos. We can't set our own value systems. God has set it, and we either follow it or it breaks us. And you know, Jesus says eventually all secrets are gonna be exposed. No one permanently gets away with lying. Somewhere down deep, the liar knows this is true. And so lives with chronic anxiety. The Bible's right. God will not be mocked. What we sow, we will reap. So, bottom line, it's a no-brainer to understand that truth-telling is a cardinal virtue of the Christian, and I would hope that most of us would probably agree with the diagnosis thus far. The issue becomes, and this leads us to a second truth, and it's in our text, how do we stop lying? As believers, we're called to be part of God's plan to heal this disease of dishonesty, and yet most of us are shackled to it in one form or another. Our text says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I would suggest that we Christians are called to do more than lament the lack of truth today. That does very little good. We are called to be catalysts for restoring truth, and the only place we can do it is in our own personal world, in our personal relationships. I would suggest one reason we're cynical about government leaders and about everybody else is we don't even trust ourselves. The Bible commands us not to lie because it says we're God's character, children and we're called to be journeying toward becoming like Jesus. And this is how it works. As I said earlier, we meet Jesus, and we are born again. And then we start this lifelong journey of becoming like Jesus, and that's why you come to worship and come to Bible studies and hear this stuff over and over again. So that over a period of time, we hope that although we haven't conquered lying totally, we lie less than we did last year, and we're growing. In fact, the text gives us grace here. It says we're being renewed in the knowledge and image of our Creator. It doesn't mean it's instant. 
It's not an instant fix, but we're becoming. And I think today the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to sensitize us to the importance of truth and make us proactive in our desire to be honest. And, and today, maybe because we worship, we'll seek to become increasingly straight in our personal and business activities, impeccably honest in our personal conversations, regardless of what people around us are doing. But remember, as with all Christian growth, it's impossible unless the Holy Spirit does it, and then you've got to be patient because it takes time. I, you know, I honestly have difficulty preaching on these subjects, and I, I almost wish you could all be preachers for a while so you'd understand, but when you're dealing with a text like this, you deal with it for a long time, and it's sort of on your mind, and then you've got to evaluate. Here I'm going to be telling these people all these things, and so how am I doing with it? And at 3 o'clock yesterday, um, someone called me and wanted to see me. And I didn't want to see him. And he's not in the, in the church right now. So anyway, the, the issue, and I've got to confess this because um, I had two choices. I could tell a lie or I could just say, I really don't want to see you and I won't be able to see you next week. And I chose a lie and I just gave a reason that I was preoccupied and call me again next week. And I know when he calls, I'm going to have the secretary says, I don't want to see you. That's a white lie. And I, I, I think what struck me was how enslaved we are to a system of being people sensitive and in, in, in wanting to be politically correct and we want people to like us, that to tell the truth is almost impossible without some radical change. I've concluded that in my own life. So I need to tell you, after working weeks on this sermon, I'm still struggling with it and I can only tell you it's going to be a journey energized by the Holy Spirit, or I guess we'll go on being sort of polite hypocrites who don't really know how to tell the truth totally and we know it inside. But here's the good news. I believe God's going to do a new thing with all of us. And I think of our potential for impacting our community for good. Think of this one soul out in the middle, middle of an intersection helping a lady make a left turn. That's dramatic uh, evidence that one person can make a difference, that we can bring about change, because change always begins with a few. Now, purging our lives of dishonesty in every form is a huge, if not impossible, task until the Holy Spirit takes over. And all of next year, we're going to be studying the book of Acts and Luke and talk about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to challenge, be challenged to let God do what otherwise would be impossible. I believe we're going to be truth-tellers next year to a degree we aren't today. That's my hope, and it'll make a difference. Now, if you're questioning you need this, I, I just would like to give you a challenge, as I did yesterday, starting at 8 o'clock, and I had five of them by the end. You know, write down for one day every lie in which you catch yourself, like the attorney in Liar, Liar. Try to go one day without lying, and you'll see the need. You'll experience the challenge. But, but you know... God never gives a mandate that he does not provide supernatural power to accomplish. I don't, I haven't given up on America. I haven't, I just don't think that society is on a downward drift on its way to hell. I believe God's still in control. His church is still alive. And I believe that if enough of us will commit ourselves to honesty, the Holy Spirit will empower us and we'll make a difference. Wherever we are, where we touch the world, we can impact and bring a change. And if we don't believe that, we might as well surrender the whole ball game right now. But God hasn't lost the battle. Truth will win. Cal Thomas, writing about the value of God's laws, including truth-telling, states, 
In reality, these moral laws have all the certainty of physical laws, and when they're violated, a society always discovers the revenge of offended absolutes. This is a source of opportunity to show that traditional values are survival values. That's our opportunity. We don't have to give up that we live in such a crooked world. We have to be liars too. We follow Jesus who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm, I'm the life. And he will empower us to be like him. I firmly believe that as our church develops a reputation for being a community of people, not perfect, but seeking to be impeccably honest as a result of following Jesus, we're going to become contagious Christians. Lord Chesterton in the early 20th century made a statement about the apparent death of Christianity. It was a time when the church was at an all-time low. It looked like the whole thing was coming to an end. And his statement can give all of us optimism about these times regarding truth. It was being said, the faith has to all appearances gone to the dogs. And yet in retrospect, it was the dog that died. The future is bright and full of light and life. Lying, dishonesty, the devil and everything associated with that is already a defeated enemy. It is in no way going to win. That's why we can't give up on our culture and we can't give up on ourselves. Now, obviously, it's time to place honesty as one of our personal core values and to do it at any cost. Because I can tell you, if we have sacrificed honesty for any reason, we've paid too high a price. It's vital we affirm in ourselves and in those we love that any sacrifice for the sake of honesty is worth it. And on a practical level, it's just plain smart and profitable in the long measure of success and happiness. Now, I wanted to give you a few things to um, kind of hang on in response to this text as you go out into the world next week. Some suggestions of how we might become truth-tellers. First. I alluded to it earlier. We can begin to catch ourselves in our white lies, our half-truths, and stories of expediency. White lies are so habitual, they're almost like an involuntary reaction that unless we start keeping a record, at least for one day of them, we might never be aware of how much we need help. Uh, it will be very informative and it will be very embarrassing if you do it. And if you're really brave, you might want to do this beyond keeping a list of white lies. And I wish I could have done it with the guy who called me yesterday. You might say something like this in the middle of a lie. You know, I'm in process on my spiritual journey to get over my habit of stretching the truth. Please forgive me. To confess it right on the spot. Boy, that would take courage. But it also would be a great um, impetus to start truth-telling. Another idea. We can confess and turn from any behavior pattern in our personal lives that's hidden, a secret that, if known, would harm the reputation of Jesus and hurt others. Third, we can confess and turn from behavior in our business and professional worlds that's dishonest or questionable. This might include things that are legal but not ethical. Such honesty might cost us money, but the reward is inward peace for which you could give no price tag. And then, maybe last and most interesting of all, we might practice some senseless, random acts of honesty. I was out with some friends at a restaurant the other night, and my host checked the bill when it came, and he noticed there was a $20 error in our favor. And he pointed out the mistake to the waiter, and it was corrected, and the waiter really didn't say much, and in fact, he looked a little embarrassed for his mistake. In other words, there was no cheering section for his act of honesty, but, you know, I think there was a cheering section in heaven 
And maybe in the waiter's heart when he asked, and we didn't know it, what makes that guy tick? You see, honesty in little things makes us contagious Christians. And it will be in the little things that we attack this virus in society and turn it around. And I believe God's counting on us to do it. So I'd like to close this morning with just a few moments of silence. And if God's spoken to you in any way through this challenge to be a truth teller, maybe you have some confessing to do and some commitment to do. Let's just take these things to him and ask for a start that we might get a journey uh, going that will make us more honest than we are today. And I think that's all that God's asking until one day we become like Jesus himself. Let's go to prayer. Lord Jesus, sometime your word uh, is very, makes us very uncomfortable because it hits pay dirt in us. We want to be honest. A lot of us are skeptical of whether we really can be. And we look back on the past and we feel with guilt and we look forward to the future and we feel helpless. And so today we simply put ourselves at your disposal and we say we hear the command to become like you, truth tellers, but we need the power. And I pray that even as we leave today, we'll sense that power filling us so that this week we can be good representatives of Jesus, who was the truth. And we want to be like him. In Jesus' name, amen.